Hello and welcome to this episode of Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today, myself and Jeff Randall get to do something we have not yet done. Talk about a Star Wars movie that was actually pretty damn awesome. We are talking today about Rogue One. All that and more after this commercial break we have no control over. back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. I'm joined by Jeff, who I can hear in the background chomping on some kind of peanut or chip. Jeff, how are we doing today? I wasn't chomping on anything. I was moving <laughs> my mic. I'm sorry. Okay, there you go. There you go. How are we feeling tonight? I'm. Oh my god, man. I'm feeling so much better about all of this, this movie rewatching that right. we're doing. Like, we have had a rough time of it, rough yeah. go of it for three straight movies. We were just very disappointed. And we finally got to one that's just stellar. Yeah. Not to not to be punny, but stellar is the term. Oh god, I didn't even th- go there. But yeah, you're right. It is. Rogue One might be one of my favorites, oddly enough, because it's not part of the main saga. This is one of the anthology movies, and absolute purists will be mad right now because we are not yet. If we're going in chronological order, we are not talking about Solo. And and frankly, we will get to it at some point. Um, Jeff and I decided that a because that movie is backstory for a particular character, but has very little impact on the main story. And also because we both really don't like it, and we're sick of talking about movies we don't like, we're putting it on hold. Uh, we will get back with Rogue, with Solo. We may even talk, try and get a guest on who actually likes that movie, because I know many people do, and that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> that's, that's fine. <laughs> hey, I'm biting back any comments. People are allowed to have different opinions even if they're wrong, but that's (laughs) fine. (laughs) Sorry, I had to say it. Um, But today we're talking about a good Star Wars movie, and and we'll talk about some different parts in specific, but let's just start general. Um, What do you love about this movie? You know, when when the movie ended the most recent time that I I watched it, you know, like 15 minutes ago, I stood up in my living room, and I was like, you see, this, this right here, this is a perfect example of why this movie is better than, than the prequels, because in this movie, they're not beholden to anything. They're not beholden. Like the only thing that we know that kicked this story off is that a group of rebels sacrificed everything to get plans for the death star. That's that is it. As long as they check that box off, they can do literally anything else they want. And they did. They went for it. And not only did they go for it, they sprinkled in all kinds of extra little stuff along the way. Like Saw Gerrera, you know, mm-hmm. from uh, Star Wars he was Rebels. In Rebels. He, was, he was in the Rebels series. Um, a lot of people were excited about him. I had never seen him before because I haven't watched Rebels. But he was, like, Forrest Whitaker was in this crazy headspace that I loved. Yes. <laughs> and then so so paranoid. Yes. Oh, my God. It was so awesome and then like all the locations that they got to go to it was like it was it was gritty it was you know this is ground level you know like we've said before the 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 jedi stories are basically the people at the top and how you know kings and queens and knights deal with all of these these politics and whatnot and like rogue one is one of those first ones we we're where we are on the ground with real people seeing how real people are affected by the empire day to day. It it's a lot more akin to to the Mandalorian than it is to um the you know the uh, saga films. Mhm. And that's part of what I love about it. And the fact that 
they can go as as ballsy as they want. They can kill every main character if they want yes. to because they're not beholden to anything. And it's just it's like this greenfield area where you can just tell whatever story you want and they told a magnificent one. Yeah, I feel like it's doing I think Mandalorian's a perfect example because what it's doing is saying we're not going to try and tell the story of characters you already know. What we're going to do is say What's a moment that happened on, you know, that happened kind of off screen? We're going to talk about that moment because you don't know any of the details. So we can make up all the details as long as we hit the few relevant points. And they do, you know, there's, there's, we'll, we'll get to one or two of them where I'm like, eh, that doesn't yeah. exactly line up. But, or <laughs> it's like, it's a technical thing, but sure, I'm willing to go with it. Um, and I just thought it was so good because there was never a moment where I was like, no, wait, that's not what that character would say. Or no, wait, that doesn't fit the canon because it's not the canon. And it winds up, I think, being actually incredible at world building in the same way Mandalorian was. Because it's not saying, you know, here's how this particular character got this particular character trait. It's saying, here's how the rebellion got started. You know, yeah. here's how, um, like, one of the things I love is just seeing the internal infighting within the Empire. And this is a detail that the books go into that the movies had never touched on, but if you think about it, it makes total sense that one thing the Emperor did was to be constantly playing subordinates off against each other, both because it's a very Sith idea of, you know, let power rise to the top through fighting, but also, like, keep them from allying with each other. And so having, like, uh, Grand Marf Tarkin and... Um, God, I just saw it. What's, what's the other one's name? Uh, Director Krennic. Krennic. Yeah. So having Grand Marf Tarkin and Director Krennic fighting, like having this rivalry, clearly because the Emperor is kind of like stirring it up from the backgrounds, it was just so perfect, you know? And there were just so many details like that that told me so much more about this world that I already loved. And that's exactly what I want from a movie like this. Yep. And that's why I think this movie does so much better than Solo. Because, you know, you've got these two major main characters in solo we've got Chewie and Han who we know that nothing I mean maybe bad stuff happens to them but they don't die they don't you know they're not like horribly disfigured they they don't have to go through anything more than maybe some emotional trauma but like because we know that they survive all the way through into you know episode seven for for Han and you know that's like what 45 years later mm -hmm. something like that because we know they survived that long there's no stakes in that movie there's no stakes in solo like everybody around him goes away because we didn't like we know that everybody around him goes away because those people weren't in his life when we met him in uh in a new hope right yeah i think that's a perfect way of saying it and and as you said like the fact that everyone here can die it it makes sense and it's I'm curious if you feel like this way because you're even more of an MCU fanboy than I am. But in mm -hmm. many ways, it reminds me of what I loved most about the early seasons of both Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and of Daredevil. Because what I felt like it was doing was saying, okay, the the MCU or the Star Wars camera has been focused on, like, the big story, you know? And we haven't really thought about what's happening kind of off in the, off in the, in the bushes. And in both cases, what these shows or movies are doing is widening that lens, you know? Um, this is a story about people who aren't themselves saving the world. You know, none of these people go up and fight Darth Vader that we see a couple do and just get slaughtered. Um, yes. 
none of these people are ever going to be thought of as you know the top. They don't get medals from Princess Leia. Uh, I'm saying that intentionally, making fun of General Tarkin. But you know, um, <laughs> none of them are going to be. Probably when C-3PO tells the story of you know how they won to the Ewoks, he probably doesn't mention them. He just says we got the plans, and in some ways that makes the story even more beautiful. You know, because it's it's such an incredible act of heroism that really lights the spark that get everything's going and no one really knows about it. Yeah. I mean, you could almost say that this is a movie of how the rebellion almost died. Yeah, for sure. In its infancy. Because as soon as they heard about the Death Star and the the as soon as they heard about the Death Star and the you know, the raw destructive power that it has, most of those people around that table were like, "Nah, man, we we just got to we got to run." We got to give up. We have to surrender. We can't deal with that. Yeah. And it, it takes it takes our main character, our our supposed hero at this point, who's not really even a hero. She's some like street level criminal, you know, mm-hmm. guerrilla fighter under Saw Gerrera, who when we like when we first saw her as an adult she is in a prison. Yeah. It takes this person to tell them like, no, you like it's not a it's not what what no it's it's a matter of what choice we have not what you know what other course can we do like whatever it was that she said it's a matter of what choice do we have we can't like the right thing is to fight this we have to stand up and fight and it's so inspirational and what i love is like i can watch luke skywalker and think he's awesome i don't have jedi powers i can watch you know the hulk do crazy things or captain america i don't have those powers um you know our hero in this um, she's ordinary. Like, she's a good shot. She's a good fighter. But she's not, like, they don't in any way indicate that she's, you know, the, the best shot or the, you know, she can throw the best punch of anyone. She's a person with good combat skills and who just can be incredibly inspiring at the right place at the right time. And in some ways, I just find that even more inspiring in some ways, you know, because it's not about, you know, Cassian's a spy and he does some good things, but he's not... You know, he's not Poe Dameron. He's not the greatest pilot who's ever, you know, flown anything or the greatest shot. They're all just people. And they're they're people stuck in this crazy situation, each of them trying to do the best they can. Yeah. And ah, it's beautiful. It's damned beautiful. And while we're talking about Cassie and Andor, mm-hmm. I, I I just want to point out that it's I, I really like I really, really, really like that the Star Wars universe has grown a bit to include non mm, how do I put it non-British accents yes (laughs) (laughs) because it's either you're an alien or you're a stuck-up Brit and like that's what it's been for the longest or you're just American like Han Solo yeah Cassie and Andor come in here like speaking in in a Mexican accent when everybody else was like, you know, colonial British, like, or American, it was just, it was so great to have that diversity coming in there. Yeah. It was really nice. And clearly that's something Disney is being more aware of. There's a lot more diversity in, in some of the, the post Um, you know, and there's some, you know, John Boyega's character was not handled the best. And I think it's definitely a, a reasonable concern, but there were definitely, the, there was more of that. The, the group here is, is very diverse. You know, we have the, um, the the two characters they meet in Jeddah who are um you know both of 
what, what seems to be, I mean, obviously this is the Star Wars world, so nothing quite lines up, but like the actors at least I, I'm guessing are somewhere of, you know, Mongolian or other kind of like Central East Asian descent, um, you know, and it just, it, it, it makes the world so much bigger in a way that I really like. And I, I like Diego's accent. I like uh, Diego Luna. I'm talking about the actor. But <laughs> I, I think it, for me, I actually thought you were going to go in a different way because I, what, what I love about Cassian Ander is he's the first real hero we have with dirty hands, with dirt on yeah. his fingernails, you know? Um, Han Solo is supposed to start out as a, you know, a smuggler, but we never see him actually do anything that terrible. And of course he has his, you know, outlaw Josie Wales moment and turns around and saves the day at the end of the first movie, New Hope. But Cassian, like, one of the first things we see him do is meeting with his informant, who's his ally, who is helping him, and he gets in a bad situation. In the back. And he shoots him in the back. And oh my god, talk about a superhero ethics question, you know? (laughs) Like there's there's so much there because this is one of those things where you think that's not what a hero should ever do. But if he doesn't do that, he's almost definitely going to get caught. And then, as you said, the rebellion dies. And yep. so it's like, I I see why he does it. This is not just him being a coward and not wanting to get caught. He feels like the mission is important. And the fact that he both does that, but then also, like, and, and later in the movie, you know, uh, you know, when they're talking about it and he says, you know, yeah, I, I did these terrible things. We've all done these terrible things. But that's that's because I've been in the rebellion. Like, he seems to want to make up for it, but he's also not apologetic about it. And it's something I really appreciate about this movie because it's really showing, like, even fights for the very best of reasons are not clean and pretty and perfect. Like, people do terrible things in war, even for the best of reasons. Yeah. I, I love that, um, you know, when he's, even when he's confronted about, you know, having done bad things or or, you know, setting up to... Uh, to kill Galen or so when when he's confronted with all of these things he doesn't do the you know the cliche you know I've been a bad person please forgive me thing he doesn't break down he owns it he's just like yeah I've done bad things but it's all been for this cause that I believe in so like so fully with so much of my being I've been in this fight since I was six years old I believe in this fight so much I would do anything to get out from under imperial rule. And the fact that he's just, he's able to just be like, yeah, come at me. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? That's going to make me feel like what I did was not the absolute right thing to do in that moment. And I I just love that he owns it. So holy. Yeah. And because especially he owns it, he's not ashamed of it. And he kind of, you know, makes Jin realize like the problem was sort of, you know, joining the fight late and then thinking you can tell everyone what to do. Um, but it's just kind of a running theme throughout this movie of the idea that like not everyone rebels for the same reasons, not everyone rebels in the same ways, and that those conflicts are a big part of what can tear a fight against oppression apart. Um, you know, clearly we see that, um, you know, Cassian is kind of somewhat morally gray, but he's within the, the rebel alliance. Even within the Rebel Alliance, there's some differences between, you know, Mon Mothma giving her order to, um, uh, Mon Mothma giving her order to go capture him, but then the general saying to go kill Galen or so, which doesn't make much sense to me, but, but even putting that aside, and, you know, and then they have Saul Guerrera, who hates the Empire as much as they do, is fighting the Empire, but as they say, his methods are too extreme. Um, and, you know, for me, as someone who has both studied, like, 
you know, social justice movements and civil rights movements and revolutions and all these kind of things. And also, you know, is part of them today. I, I mean, that really rings true to me. Like, you know, just look at like any discussion on Facebook about, you know, what's the right way to protest uh, for Black Lives Matters, you know, or what's the right way to protest against the president or anything like that. You know, you're on, and whatever political side you're on, that you can have a whole bunch of people who all are wanting to fight the same thing, but they're going to have massive disagreements on what the tactic should be. And I just like seeing that, that like the great Star Wars rebellion, you know, it almost fell apart because of those divisions. Yeah. Rebellions are messy. Yeah. But they're built on hope. They're built on hope. I love that that I love that hope was the word that kept coming back and kept coming kept coming as the it was like the the through line word like rebellions are built on hope. Rebellions are built on hope. What did what did we receive? What did they send us? And then Leia says, "Hope." Yeah. And I got goosebumps when you just reminded me of that story, you know, and I when I saw that scene for the first time in the movies, I sobbed like it hit me so hard. And there's, a you know, and a lot of, and a lot of people thought because it is, um, uh, it, you know, it's the whole uncanny valley thing with both Princess Leia and General Tarkin. They were kind of using CGI images of them because in both cases, the actors have passed away. Um, but I and, and Tarkin, who I thought mostly worked. It was a little weird at times. I thought that one moment and that one line you know, it was just so perfect. And it's it perfectly set up the next movie. And I, I don't know. How, how did it hit you? I mean, I'm I'm currently feeling the chills. Yeah. About it. <laughs> it's so good. It's uh, I mean, man, just like not only like there are so many things in this movie that are that are perfect little callbacks to the original trilogy. Like if if you look at the all of the shots that are from the inside of, of X-Wing cockpits and, and anybody that's doing like the bombing runs, anybody that's pilot, you know, red leader, gold leader, blue leader, etc. All of those shots are like, it's like they brought the quality down to, to what they made it look like it was straight out of a new hope. Yeah. And like that little, that little bit of nostalgia and all of the cockpits looking like they, like they did in a new hope well, and in some of those cases, it's the exact same shot. And certainly the right. audio was exactly the same. Right. Um, and it sounded the same. And then when the guys are running down the hallway away from, uh, away from, uh, Darth damn Vader. it, away from Darth Vader. Like when the guys are running down the hallway away from Darth Vader, when they finally get their ship launched and they look back, it's exactly the same hallway yeah. that Vader comes in through. Like it's pristine and it's nice and everything, but I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, that's the hallway that he blows in. Like, yeah, they didn't do the oh, thing oh where they, they tried to make it look much better, tried to make it look nicer. They just showed it, you know. And even to, and this is such a tiny little detail, but I love it so much. Like, you might wonder, like, okay, Luke joins the X-wing squadron. Like, he hasn't been fighting with them before. Why does he have this call sign? Like, why doesn't why isn't there already a red five? Well, now we know. You know, we we see that there is a red five and he dies in this. And that's why, like, that's an open call sign to give Luke in the next movie, which happens, you know, a week later. Um, <laughs> yeah. That little detail. I was like, oh, that's so. And just the whole space battle. Um, I, I'm sure it was CGI'd, but it this space battle looked nothing like the, the ridiculous things we saw in the prequels that always just felt so cartoonish that they didn't matter. I was on the edge of my seat in both the 
the big land battle that was happening, which is straight out of a Vietnam reference, but oh, also the um uh the space battle that was happening, both you know once the X wings get down into the planet, but also just all the ships happening. You know, we were talking before about we almost never see capital ships fighting. Here we got to do that. Um, and I just you know getting to see Admiral Akbar or wh- whoever it was. I think it was Akbar. Um, no, you know, it was an Akbar. Oh, wasn't okay. Um, yeah. but you know, getting to see you know someone of the, the Mon Calamari race like leading a fleet into battle and and them fighting against the um, the Death Stars and the whole hammerhead idea like oh it just it was so good. That's what I want Star Wars to be. You know, I want there to be yeah. hope and darkness and you know there's nothing about the force, you know, but there is the same themes of like, how far can you go to fight evil? Like how far into darkness can you go? And how does that affect you? Yeah. And you know, you say that there's, there's no, there's no, the force, but there, I mean, there was a little bit with, you know, yeah, there's no Vader Jedi, was but there. definitely go, go ahead. Sorry. There, there's, you know, Vader does his thing and what use of the force there is, is very small, but it, it feels, you know, it, it almost feels like, um, I, I have again. I haven't seen Rebels, but I I understand that the main character is force sensitive, yeah. But isn't a Jedi, and I feel almost like they're they're leading us to believe that Jen Erso was force sensitive, and you know I have a couple of points of data to to kind of interesting you know okay. make that through line, but I think that she was at least a little bit force sensitive, and uh. Chirrut Imway was like all about it. Like the, I am one with the force, the force is with me. And like, it just goes to show that, that, that religion, you know, of, of the force, you know, Jedi or Sith, whatever, it's not, it's not entirely dead. You know, the, the tales have lived on, even if some people are like, ah, these guys are just crazy. And, and to see somebody wholeheartedly put themselves into it the way that Shirad Emway does is, is kind of, you know, it's really nice. It's, it's refreshing. It really it's is. Not, Go ahead, it's sorry. not like, it's not like where the Jedi have this, like this incredibly egotistical, you know, super prideful way of like, Oh, well, this is the way that you have to handle the force. It's only this way. Right. Like just having somebody trust that everything's going to be okay because it has to be okay. It's yeah. it's it's refreshing. It's a refreshing take on the force. It really is, especially because to me, I like what you're saying about the the different people being force sensitive, and I'll be curious to hear your uh, theories about Jin. But it's certainly, I think this makes it very canonically clear that force sensitivity is not binary. You know, yeah. until now we would have thought like either you have the ability to like you know crush Pepsi cans with your mind and read the future and run a lightsaber, or you're completely dead to the force. But no, there can be people kind of in this middle ground um, of all levels, you know. And I love the the point you made about calling it a religion because I think that's very fitting because it's the, you know, over the prequels we saw what happens when the high priests of a religion, you know, fall too much into their own story and their own hubris and, and, and get lost in it. But they're still their believers, you know. And this, this whole idea of the holy city of uh, Jeddah where people still, like, hold to these beliefs – and that it's very tied to, um, you know, force mythology and, be, and quite literally because this is where kyber crystals come from and kyber being a big part of what, how you make lightsabers um, and power of the Death Star energy weapon, which makes total sense. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just thought all those little details were so well done. And and I think, honestly, both Chirid and Baze are, are 
pretty much two of my favorite characters in this because a, just the relationship between them is so great. Um, it, it's very <laughs> much a kind of like a Jedi and a Han Solo type. And I love like, you know, he's sort of like, oh, the force saved me. It's like, no, you idiot. I, with my big machine gun, saved you. And, and yep. Chiri's like, you know, you know, potato, potato. Um, yeah, right. I don't just, need luck. I have you. Yeah. The, they so clearly love each other in such a powerful way. And anyway, you know, that we've no like that could be a platonic love. That could be a romantic love. I think the movie just doesn't doesn't care at all about it. But you can read that any way you want to. But whatever it is, it's such a powerful relationship. And they wind up being such a nice, like, just moral kind of compass for a lot of the other characters in a way that I think really drives us forward. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with... Uh... With Chirrut Imwe being blind mm-hmm. and, and kind of nobody expecting him to, to be anything, nobody believing in him at all. I, when I when I rewatched it this time, I was like, oh, shit, he's Daredevil. <laughs> he's straight up Daredevil right here. Mm-hmm. And, and having him be like so one with the force, like taking away his sight might have been the best thing for him so that he can more fully trust the force and, and not his own eyes. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And... I mean, especially around his blindness, he, as well as another major character that I'm sure we're going to talk about, are two of the places in which this movie introduces something that we don't get really in the prequels, humor. This movie is really funny, you know? And <laughs> yeah. there I'm thinking about his line, like, where they're, you know, the Saw Gerrera's um, henchmen are... are, are <laughs> they put the bag over Putting the bags head. over everyone's heads so they can't see. And it's like, are you kidding? I'm blind. <laughs> There's just... I, I laughed out loud so many times in this movie in ways that I, I I did for all three of the original movies and I can't really remember doing much in the prequels except when it was like laughing at how bad they were. Yeah, yeah. And man, having having a droid. Yep, that's the other character I was thinking of. <laughs> that is that charming. Alan Tudyk destroys anybody else who wants to do to, to do voice work for especially for droids because mm-hmm. i mean this is a character that i grew to love over the course of this movie and he's a robot yeah. like he's just he's just so funny the the way that like the way that he you know he he calculates everything and he's just like we have a 33 percent chance of a failure and you know in a very don't tell me like never tell me the odds kind mm-hmm. of way Cassian's just like, shut up, stop telling me. He's like, yeah, sure, okay. Now it's 35%. Yeah. <laughs> what What is it with droids in this world loving to tell people the odds? I guess that's just kind of the, the, the part of that mode of thinking where you're always calculating probabilities. But it'd be I really, guess. like, it'd be either helpful or very obnoxious to, like, have one help you play poker, you know? <laughs> like, right. Actually, your odds of, cal- of catching that flush or, you know, shut up, shut up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and his character to me is... It's one of the other things I love about Star Wars because it's the it's the idea that you can really find warmth and and come to, as you said love a character. He's a droid, but he's still very he's very much a person. You know, he has a personality. He cares about things, and you can see him like, you know, as much as I love C three PO and he's funny, he doesn't ever have a character arc. You know, C three PO three PO is a bitch. Yeah, well, I mean, but I mean, putting that aside, like you know. <laughs> Um, both him and R2-D2, like, we know who they are at the first movie, and that's pretty much who they are through all the movies. And our, maybe yep. 3PO has a little bit of an arc in the in the um, Rise of Skywalker movie, but I, I think it was kind of dumb. But, um, oh, God, XK, what the hell is his name? 
K2SO. K2SO. But K2SO gets to have a real arc. You know, he starts out not trusting uh, Jin at all and and starts to kind of be more on her side, but but still very careful about it. And then um, I wrote it down because he says there's the there's a wonderful compliment he gives her. Was it your behavior is continually unexpected? Yeah, exactly. He says to her, your behavior is continually unexpected. And I feel like, funny, I didn't even thought about this, what I just said about the odds. For him who's always trying to calculate what will happen, that's the highest compliment he can give. And yeah. I, I just, oh, I love that so much. Like, you've gone against everything that I thought that you were to show me just how much of a good person you are. Mm-hmm. And then to have him, oh my God, the way he sacrifices himself, Matthew. Yeah. My heart. It was so good. And then, especially <laughs> since we know that that same, uh, you know, no, I'm sorry, it's not the same actor, but that a, another droid will sacrifice himself in a similar way in Mandalorian. It's just like, oh, these, these, these droids, they're, they're breaking my heart, man. They're so good. <laughs> uh, and that, like, it was, it was a different, it was a different uh, bit of humor, but that droid in the Mandalorian had a whole lot of humor in that he kept trying to self-destruct. Yes. <laughs> in the so first good. episode. <laughs> so good. So, so and then go ahead. Yep. No, you Okay, I'm let's, done. let's kind of go through the movie. Um I think we've covered a lot, but I want to kind of go through like, you know, different different parts as we go through and, and talk about things that we loved. Um I, I thought the opening scene, first of all, I really missed having a crawl. You know, I just I like the the text crawl, but but fine, we don't get it. Um, I, I didn't miss it, honestly. Yeah. Like it was, it was surprising, but it also, you know, it, it does that, that thing that I was talking about where it shows like it right out of the gate tells you we are not like this movie is not beholden to any of that. Yeah. We don't have to do a crawl because this isn't a, a Skywalker movie. This yeah. is something entirely different. This is, this movie is the crawl. From a new hope. Yeah, you're right. It, this is just a plot detail. I, I, I like that way of seeing it. I I still kind of like it because I just I love that exposition, even though it's so so corny. But I think you're right. That's a good way of thinking it. Um, I like that it's also all set on this farm. You know, one of the themes that Luke has talked about that was very intentional for him about the original movies was this idea of kind of like nature versus machine, and so the idea of Galen or so like fleeing the Death Star to go work on a farm. Just I think I thought it hit really nicely, and just from the very beginning, the troops are scary. Like, yeah, my friend, imposing. my friend, Paul, um, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, like he wrote, he, he and I were watching it together and texting with some, with calling with some fans. Uh, and he wrote like, why don't all the stormtroopers have this badass black armor? Like it looks so much scarier and so much more intimidating. Yeah. Um, and I just thought director Krennic was a perfect villain for this movie. You know, he's, he's evil, but in a kind of like, you love to hate him kind of way. And he's really funny about it. Um, like there's a, there's that one uh, exchange, he he has this the line where um Galen has said that his wife has died and then he sees her and he goes oh she's alive it's a miracle <laughs> just the sarcasm <laughs> dripping from his here voice. she comes back from the dead yeah it's a miracle and then later I thought this was both very like illustrative of the whole problem of the empire but also hilarious Galen says to him you know talking about the um Death Star you're confusing peace with terror. And he responds. You gotta start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> whoa, bro. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, that's that's the totalitarian thinking, and that's terrifying. But it's also really funny the way he says it. It's horrifying. Yeah. And you you really get a sense of his darkness when, I mean, obviously he's he's being a dick the whole time, but 
but like you really you see how much he is embracing his own personal darkness when they blow up Jetta, mm-hmm. and the first thing he can say about it is it's beautiful yeah because the city is just gone at that point it is erupting in one of the best by the way one of the best sequences one of the best looking uh destruction graphics whatever you want to call it it looked amazing having the city just erupt outward the pyroclastic cloud going out with Mm -hmm. all the lightning in it and like pieces of it just flying up into space like oh my god it looks so good it was so and it was like it makes sense that that is exactly how it would happen with that much power, that much force destroying this area. Yeah, of course it would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, it, it's funny because, and here's one of the areas where I was saying like, they clearly have to um, stay within the bounds of what the original movie has said. And they, I feel like they come pretty close to the line because one of the big points in the original movies is that they want to demonstrate the power of this death star. And, so the fact that they kind of already have and that they have to have Tarkin say, like, you know, we want a statement, not a manifesto. Don't blow up the planet. Um, it, it was a little hand wavy to me, but I was fine with it because you're right. It, it's a beautiful scene. It creates this wonderful tension, wonderful drama. And it says so much about Krennic that that's the way he sees it. You know, he's he's now in this imperial mindset of I don't care about civilian versus warrior. You know, you're all just ants to me. I'm I want to advance. I want the emperor's favor. I want to create this technological marvel. Yeah. And, oh, man, like the the way that, God, the way that he describes it, uh, that you're reminding me of there is, he says, we stand here in the, like, in the, I think it was in the glory of my achievement, mm-hmm. not yours. And it's not, it's not, he didn't build a single part of that Death Star. Yeah. He just employed Urso and other engineers and a crap ton of contractors to like mm-hmm. to actually build the thing. But because he was the guy that was in charge, he thinks that it's all him. It's all him that like he should get the credit for it. He should be in charge of it. And like you can see, you know, just how how much of a power hungry um empire uh, gonna call him an empire dog really mm-hmm. he is yeah and it's funny though because it maybe this is me being weird but when then tarkin is like cool good job bro but now it's mine i yeah. had a moment of sin of sympathy for him and then i was like no no no, no. he's a genocidal maniac stop that stop that and yeah right like, no that's not fair tarkin you don't get to do that like no tarkin you didn't you had no hand in this yeah. back down sir but like i said I, j- I just love that insight into imperial politics like clearly that's how you play the power games in the empire, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that we, we have all that great scene and I thought Sagarera's death was really nice. Um, the, the thing with the, um, the Maw Gullet, what is it called? Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right. Saw Maw Gullet, the, the brain reading machine, the brain reading monster that, that, uh, reads the brain of the pilot. Boar, Boar Gullet. Boar, Boar Gullet. Like that scene was a little like, okay, yes, you still have control of, you know, Lucas creations and get to do all those cool monsters. Sure. If we need to have that fine. Um, but even then I, I love that they keep calling Bodie the pilot, you know, we almost never learn his name cause he's just that character. Um, yep. and then we get back to Yavin 
And did you have the ma- major nostalgia then again when we were like back on Yavin? You know, I <clears throat> I, I did at first. I was like, oh man, Yavin 4. Like, and I, I really, I don't have Yavin 4 nostalgia from the movies. I have it more from playing the um, the Battlefront 2. Oh, okay. Uh, way back in the day on, you know, I think it was on original Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there were like you had the battles on on Yavin Four, and I, I remember every time you you flip the um, the campaign selector over to Yavin Four, it'd be like Yavin Four, and that like that's how it said the the name every time right. Yavin Four, and like anytime somebody says Yavin, I'm just like Yavin Four because <laughs> that's ingrained in my head <laughs> yeah, now. That's how it has to be. Yep, and. So I had the nostalgia from that, but I, I kind of didn't want them to do any, like, I didn't want to see uh, any planets that had already been, you know, shown in Star Wars. Because the galaxy is gigantic. Yeah. The galaxy is huge. You've got all these other places that you could possibly go. Like, show me these other places. Show me Balmora. Mm-hmm. You know, show me, show me Alderaan before it got destroyed. Yeah, that would have been pretty cool. It would have been nice to see, have a scene where, like, it was about contacting Bail Organa, you know, while he's on Alderaan. But it, but I, yeah. but I thought it fit the plot that, that yeah, the the rebellion is on is on Yavin because that's where that's where they were. Yeah, it's where it is in a week. You know, like that's yeah. how close. <laughs> yeah, it's not like was. they just moved in. Um, on Yavin though, we get the one scene I thought that that not a huge problem, but definitely did rub me wrong. And I'm wondering if maybe you have a better reading of it. Um. The general saying to go ahead and kill Galen Erso, not try to bring him in. That doesn't make I, any sense to me. I understand it. I understand it. Because it's like, it's easier to take out this target and and make sure that the Empire doesn't have this brilliant mind that can, that can build a, a weapon, a super weapon like the Death Star anymore. Like, it's easier to take out that target than to extract that target. Because you don't know it, you don't know what kind of security he's going to have on him. You don't know what you know if he even wants to be extracted. Right. You do know though that he is there and is susceptible to blaster fire. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's, but it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like he says like kill him if you can't extract him. You know, it, it's a no. We have to kill him instead of extracting him. When if you did extract him, he'd, he'd still be just as un, ungettable. And then later, even after we learn just what the Death Star can do, they still want to give that order, which again, it's like, well, the the horse is very much out of the barn by now. Why do you care who built the barn door? You know? Right. Um, <laughs> I, 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 that whole thing just, it, it just, it just struck me a little odd, especially the whole like, you know, X-Wings can, can jump from one system to the other in about six minutes and there's no planetary security whatsoever and they can, like... It was a cool scene, but that was I, that was pretty eye rolly for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I said it in the in the uh, the live stream when we did the talk on episode three. Um, it's it's kind of unrealistic to have the the type of space battles that that you have right. in Star Wars because if you've got even if you've got like just under light speed travel, if you've got, you know, you've got this super fast travel method, like you can just pop up anywhere. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter where somebody is. You can just bloop. We're here now. Right. And the whole fleet is here. Guess what? You're dead. <laughs> so 
you know, this whole like, let's move some troops here and move some troops there kind of like risk stuff is mm-hmm. not, it's not, it's not a thing. Yeah. Um, I did want to bring up though, in you, we, we started with talking about the farm and then we just kind of went far afield. <laughs> um, puns aside, sorry. <laughs> puns always welcome. <laughs> um, my first point of, of data for Jen Urso maybe being force sensitive was actually, uh, when she was a little girl, uh, three minutes, 23 seconds in, according to Disney plus when she was running, like her mom tells her, you know where to go. Right. And she's like, yeah, I know where to, I know where to go. And then she runs off and there's a point where she is running, you know, she's running into this Valley and then stops and turns around. Like she, like she feels something. Like, feel something is off. Mm, interesting. And the music right there is indicative, or the the music right there seems almost like a, a small a hint of force sensitivity. Like, it, like, she felt something on the wind, kind of, and the music was, the music kind of solidified that for me. Interesting. And so let's go deeper on this theory. What, what are some of your other moments for you? Well, there's there's that one, and the fact that Chirat Imwe, um, earlier, or not earlier, the fact that Chirat Imwe later in the movie says the force swirls violently in black around someone who's about to kill. If he could feel that, and if she's force sensitive, she could probably feel that. The fact that Krennic was about to kill, or was you know, in such a, a malicious state would have swirled the force around him. Oh, so, okay. you know, that, that point kind of goes along with it, but also whenever, uh, whenever they're getting into the shield, they're trying to, to get onto Scarif. Whenever they, they send the, the code to try to, you know, get through and, and be allowed to land. She's holding onto her Kyber crystal and looks like she's almost praying. And that's interesting. It's like she connects with the force and wills them to be allowed through without even knowing that she's doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I I think it's certainly possible. And I like that, but I like that it doesn't matter. You know, that the the, the filmmakers, I I imagine that they they may be complete coincidence. I think you're probably right that, that they drop those hints a little bit. But that it's not like it doesn't become a huge part of the character. Um, and let's actually take a minute to talk about Jin because I I really really love her as a character. Um, I think Ray is a is a very important character and has a lot of great things about her, and we'll talk about her. I think I like Jin a little bit more in some ways, just because mm-hmm. I, I again I feel like she's much more relatable um, in that she's she's much more of like the every person. She's not like the the super super badass Jedi, who we also later find out is that I I don't I don't even buy that part of the canon. Like I I still think she's the, the child of no one traitors. That makes me much happier. But uh, <laughs> and I just generated five hate mails. But but even putting that aside, um, I I just find her journey so interesting because for her, you know, when it starts out, this has nothing to do with the rebellion. It's about her father, and yep, there's one line early on which I think is really good and. Again, it really strikes me today when talking to people about, like, you know, why aren't more people fired up about, you know, fighting for justice? Um, Galen, uh, no, Cassian says to her, like, are you are you okay? 
you know, would you really be okay seeing the Imperial flag flying all over the galaxy? And she says, it's fine if you never look up. Um, and that's such a heartbreaking idea of, you know, if you just feel like everything in your life is terrible and it doesn't matter, then yeah, it, it's like one kind of oppression is no better than the other. And because what's missing from that phrase is hope. What she's saying yep. is, if I have no hope, I don't care if it's the Empire or someone else. Um, and so for her to have that journey, just, uh they, they just do so well to, like, to plant those seeds throughout the whole way. Yeah. Oh, man, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's... Everything about this movie was just so damn good. Right? right? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, trying to get to the... It's hard to focus on any one thing because you just, like, you're taking on such a journey. Yeah. You really are. This it's, movie. it's just like, it's hard to pick it apart because everything fits so well together. Um, I love Saw Gerrera, especially because, you know, I have a prosthetic leg. And so seeing a badass guy with a prosthetic leg is pretty cool. Um, but I, It looked like he had a prosthetic leg and a prosthetic foot on the other leg. Yeah, I think that's true. And, and He was real beat up. And he, he has this kind of like semi-mechanical existence, you know, in terms of like he breathes through this like mask that he puts on. And it sounds a hell of a lot like Darth Vader. It does. Like, that's not coincidence, right? Yeah, that's very much on purpose. What, what, I, what I, do you think is going on there? You know, it, it could be that thing that you're that you're talking about of um, how far is too far. Like, how far do you go for this good cause before you start becoming like your enemy or becoming your enemy? And... Sagarera is seen as this extremist and at least by by the rebellion he's seen as an extremist so giving him you know giving him prosthetics giving him a a thing that makes him sound like vader breathing just kind of helps to drive that home a little more like maybe this guy's a little too far gone yeah and but you you wonder about it because then you also see the rebellion that thought he was too far gone who's like well maybe we shouldn't attack maybe we like i you don't know you know and i like that again that it's not clear who's the right one and who's wrong um, yeah which i thought was really good i like that they're they're wanting to say like maybe we should try to you know get back in touch with him bring him back into the fold mm-hmm. like you know we need all the help that we can get right now yeah <laughs> i love love that and like just the way that Forrest Whitaker plays it, the way that he's just so crazy all the time, mm-hmm. where like he breathes the he breathes the gas and and then immediately turns on his on his heel and is just like, "Were you, are you here to kill me? Yeah, are you gonna kill me, Jen? Think about that that paranoia and that seeing of conspiracy. Like, go on Facebook for five minutes. And this is true of any side. Like, I know I'm I'm distinctly on the left side, but we have it as much as anyone, you know, and find that person who's just convinced that anybody who isn't 100% in lockstep with them exactly ideologically is out to destroy them. And it's all like, you know, you're part of like, you're, you're being sent by the, the DNC or by the, you know, the conspiracy or whatever it is, you know, that, that, that you can't possibly just disagree with me. You must be out to destroy me. Are you a Fed? Yeah. Yeah. You know? You got to tell me if you're a Fed, it's the law. <laughs> What's that from? Uh, it was some bullshit. I can't. I don't even remember where okay. I heard it. It was on some movie or TV show. Mm-hmm. And it was stupid. Yeah. So I'm sorry for bringing it up. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, and so then we do get to see Galen's message. And here, like, 
in some ways, I think this is the best thing it does because this movie does. Because I, I'm guessing you had the same feeling. I watched A New Hope when I was a kid. I loved it. You know, everything was perfect. Big explosions, pretty girl, lightsabers. Like, just eight-year-old me is so happy. And then I keep watching it as I get into high school and college. And I, I get more analytical. I think the cool thing is not to like things and is to find holes with things. And <laughs> I start to look even at Star Wars in that light. And it occurs to me, building a Star Destroyer with such a completely easy way to blow it up is a really, really bad idea. Yeah, that's um, uh, that, that sort of thing doesn't happen with proper peer review there you go there you go some peer um, review some some quality assurance maybe um, yeah your qa testing um <laughs> but like what yeah. a fantastic way to 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 recognize the mistake and to retcon it by saying it was intentional as like and, and then it's the, the key to your plot here like i just yeah. thought that was so good that made me so happy you know the the thing that i was kind of getting miffed about when we watched uh episode two we watched Attack of the Clones. In Attack of the Clones, they had plans for the Death Star on Geonosis oh, that they packed that. up and shipped off. I was so pissed that that was there. And then, cause, you know, we don't need that. We don't need that there. Right. But then here, they're like, no, it was Galen Erso. And I'm like, well, was he on Geonosis? Did he work on Geonosis? Like, did he work with them? But then if you think about the fact that it's been, you know, at least 20 years or longer since then, mm -hmm. then, you know, that's enough time for them to have, I guess, started on it. And for him to be like the guy that comes, he's like the foreman to come in and, and build the thing. And he's like, no, 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 no. We got to we got to change this one part. Do this over here. And like builds in an extra little piece to be like, no, it's a, it's an enhancement. Yeah, the, like, the headcanon I put in is the Geonosians had this very vague, very general, like, let's build a big, you know, round starship thing. And then, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then they were like, okay, because even if you remember by the end of the third prequel, uh, Revenge of the Sith, they've already built the superstructure of the damn thing. But apparently it yeah. takes just 20 years to fill in the insides. Like, eh, not so much. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I like the idea that, like, whatever they were doing, they needed new people to come in. Um, it, it brings up, though, and I'll say... This, this question was basically a whole episode of Superhero Ethics. We don't have to go deep into it, but it, I think it's fun to talk about. Did Galen do the right thing? If your choice is refuse to help build the Death Star, and maybe they can find someone else to do it, but maybe they can't, or build the Death Star, but put in this self-destruct button. You know... <clears throat> after after having seen this and and knowing what he like knew in his heart i have to say that with the information that he had he did the right thing mm -hmm. because he said specifically you know i had to go i had to go back i had to you know i had to i had to learn to lie i had to embrace it i had to be the person that he thought he needed I, and I had to do that because otherwise Krennic would find out that he didn't need me. And if Krennic found out that he didn't need Galen Erso, like if he realized that, then Galen Erso never would have had the chance to build in such a glaring problem right. or a, a glaring flaw in the design. Yeah. And without him, you know, without him caving and, and building the thing, 
and putting in the 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 flaw it would have been an impregnable awful fortress mm-hmm. yeah i think that's true I, I i think i'm on your side but again it's like sort of ca- what cassian has to do but times a billion you know and and quite literally because cassian kills one billion people Gal- <laughs> galen galen winds up basically i mean obviously he didn't plan this exactly but what he does winds up basically saying i'm going to enable the empire to kill all the people of Jeddah, all the people of alderaan uh so we're now into the millions if not billions of people in order so that it can be destroyed and the whole galaxy can't be destroyed and take over and maybe that math actually checks out but it's it's a it's a hard trade. It, it's a hard trade. And, and the thing is, the whole thing is based on the idea that if they don't have you, they can't build it. And given that so much of the, the, the that Krennic is so convinced that that's not true, I feel like that argument is hard for me to swallow. Um, and you're right. It's one of those things where it's like we're second guessing what the writers are telling us. And so maybe maybe we're really supposed to believe that like Galen really, really knew that they would build it without him. Um, in which case, then maybe he does do the right thing. But it's still such a, like... That's still... That's a... It's a... I mean... It, it's a hard pill to swallow, Doc. It is. And it's it's not one like... I, it's I, a suppository. On the one hand, I feel like I have to be judgmental of him, but I also feel like I don't know if I can because what an awful situation for someone to be in. Um, right. And I want to just say, like, yeah, don't... Don't do the evil thing. Like, that should always be the case. And... Part of me thinks that, but part of me just, yeah, it's Matt Carroll, Star Wars movies have moral grayness right on here. Um, <laughs> it's right here. You can see it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. It's it's it, it that kind of a question, I think, is, is to me what makes a great movie. You know, you can come out and be like, so was this guy a hero? Was this guy not? What Like, it's beautiful. I don't know. I don't know. But he's played by the incomparable Mads Mikkelsen. Yep. And I will watch that man do anything. I, I assume you're a Hannibal fan, then. Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't watched Hannibal. I just love Mads Mikkelsen. Take a look at the TV show Hamilton. It's very dark, but it's he. Yeah. He plays Hannibal, and he is. I've, I've heard he's a fucking legend. Yeah. Sorry. I've heard that he's a legend on Hannibal. Um, yeah. Honestly, like <laughs> he was probably my favorite knight in that uh, awful 2005 King Arthur movie. I don't think with I, Clive Owen. I don't think I even saw it. Oh man, it was it was not great, but <laughs> he was awesome in it. I, I, and then he did Casino Royale, and I was like, I'm sold. This guy's awesome. Oh yeah, that's right. He was in that. He was very good in yep. that. Yeah. Yep. Um, just one more thing on him. The way his message appears is such an obvious callback to the Princess Leia message that's in R2 in, in A New Hope. And I was I yep. loved it. I thought that was so beautiful. Uh, and the way that I, you know, it's it's kind of it's a little goofy that he like he sends a message to Saw Gerrera and it's kind of like he's saying, like, hey, old friend, you know, uh, it's been a while, but it's good to see you like when when that message gets there and saw watches it like to have to have galen just assume that jen is going to show up and that jen is going to see it and he starts talking directly to jen like it's it's really it's it's touching mm-hmm. because he's just he has such confidence that you know that jen is going to be there and he just he knows in his heart of hearts that she's alive but it's 
also a little bit goofy. Yeah. Because, like, you shouldn't just assume <laughs> that she's going to be okay. Well, you should assume that. And also the idea of, so it's going to be totally eat. Don't worry. I figured out a way for you to blow up the Death Star. All you have to do, by the way, because I can't tell you this, is steal the plans to figure out something else on your own. Like, then that's a laugher. No worries. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, you, you, you could have made it a little bit easier, but that's fine, too. Yeah. Could you have uh, detailed the message yeah. at all? Nah. Nah. I uh, There was one more thing that kind of, like, bugged me a bit is when, like, Saw Gerrera shows up and then immediately dies. Yeah. And he, like, they say, come with us, come with us. And he's like, I'm done running. Like, eh, well, th- this isn't a thing where you're going to, like, stand your ground and, and hold back the enemy while they escape. It's literally a wall of the planet is blowing up. Or, yeah, you know, the, I mean, I, the the earth is being destroyed around you. Like, you're not going to survive that in any way. What I took it to mean was that, I mean, A, he, he's kind of maybe recognizing how screwed up he is. Like, like using that monster on Bodhi, the pilot, is, is kind of a, shit, a dick move. Um, yeah, it's a and, touch of a dick move. And he's so clearly, like, very, very conspiratorial and worried about everything. But also, I mean, that, that first battle scene, which, which to me, I mean... Less so now, but at the time when the movie came out, we were still used to, like, nightly news discussions of, like, you know, battles in cities in Afghanistan and Iraq. And that battle in Jeddah looks exactly like that. I mean, that, to me, it's very intentional, like, that, that that's what's a reference to. And that battle is pretty morally gray. Like, the, the forces for Saul Guerrero don't seem like they're, you know, waving, you know, fighting for—they're I mean, fighting for a good cause, for sure— but they're using some tactics that are getting some, some innocent people killed. Um, yeah, they're not like, everyone, all the innocent bystanders, run away. Get out of the area. Clear the area because we're about to have a battle. Right. They're just, they, they use them as cover. Yeah. And they use them to hide. And, you know, I see what you're saying where they, um, they very much uh, evoke uh, imagery of, of Middle East um I don't want to say insurgents or attackers, but you know they all of them have what looks to be uh, almost like burkas on. They've got the the cover mm-hmm. on their face and head. Yeah, and like I didn't notice it the first time I watched it. I, I noticed it this time. I was like, wait a second. And it's town with people <laughs> that have like this religious devotion. I mean, I think there's there's very clear references happening there, and but it's effective yeah. because it's you know that that's that's fighting where like find the good guy. It's pretty damn hard i mean i'm pretty sure you know the u.s isn't it but i other than that like <laughs> it's a multi-side multi-faceted combat with a lot of people with a lot of agendas and that's you know it, it saw Guerrero's troops like they're fighting the good fight but yeah i i, I kind of get saw Guerrero maybe being like yeah we've we've maybe the, the the fight needs to take on a new direct dimension now um you know if he had said if he had maybe had a, a brief discussion with jen about how he has gone way off the rails like when she was when she was telling him like you ditched me you left me in a bunker or you know wherever it was that that he left her like you left me and you know i had to survive on my own if he had said something about like you know he he told her there were people that were starting to figure things out they wanted to use you as as uh, a hostage or a ransom or bait or whatever if he had said like the forces that I'm with, the forces that I'm leading, this fight is going so far away from what the rebellion is. I had to get you away from it. Mm-hmm. 
if he had said something like that, it would have made more sense that he would just stand there and and take the explosion. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's implied, then he could say, but like, then, yeah, it would have been nice to have it in the actual movie. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and if it, like, it's it's great that it's implied, but, like, that's one of those small things where I need you to tell me that so that I can I can feel that without having to be like, well, I wonder. Yeah. I, I'm with you, and it ties, like, I would have loved to see a lot more on Jetta, um, especially because and it ties into, actually, the character who I, I almost missed him entirely the first time I watched the movie, but I think this was now my third time seeing it, and every time I see it, I'm more interested in this. No, it's my fourth. Every time I'm more interested in this character, and that's Bodhi. Like the pilot seems to have such this interesting journey that we just get barely hinted at. Um, yeah. There's one line where he's talking to uh, Jin, and um, he says, "Your father. He said I could get right for myself. He said I could make oh, it man. right." Like, yes, clearly he had like he has a redemption arc that we're talking about. He has some major guilt. And it's, on one hand, it's really powerful that we don't know. But like if you told me we're going to get a movie now, that's like the whole process of like Bodhi deciding to join Galen and then Bodhi being with like Saw and all that. Like I'd watch that in a heartbeat. Like <laughs> I want that <laughs> yeah, story, you know? Yep. Yep. I mean, it's it's easy to to say like. You know, I feel bad because I worked for the Empire and I feel like I've done bad things because I worked for the Empire. But this guy's a cargo pilot. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how many bad things he's done as a cargo pilot. But, you know, if they if they made a movie or a miniseries about it, I'd watch the hell out of it. I think my guess was that he was a cargo pilot um, bringing kyber crystals up from the um, planet. And so the idea is that he's helped, like, and he's been one small part of helping to make the Death Star weapon possible. But you're right. I mean, he's it, he's a pretty low cog to feel too much responsibility. So it, it, it again, makes right. the story so much more interesting. Like, what what's happening? Yeah. Like, why do you why do you have this this extreme sense of of owning this problem? Like, why do you feel so responsible for it? Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, he's also. I mean, he he could also say that he has been instrumental in tearing down this religious symbol. Uh, you know, for this one way of life that was, you know, guarding the temple, the the guardians of the wills, um, which I want to know more about. Give me that backstory. Can we have another one? And that I think um is pretty much straight reference to stuff that's in a lot of the books, especially in the Legends canon, which I I thought was yeah. a nice touch because it's a nice kind of way of bringing those a little bit more back more into um showing all the stuff about kyber crystals being how you build uh, lightsabers. That's all in the Legends books. So that was a nice, like, okay, maybe we haven't completely obliterated that part of the past. Um, you know what would be really awesome? What's that? If there was... You know how... Okay, I'm just... I'm, I'm piecing this together as a, as a pitch. Uh, I'm pitching this to Disney right now. Um, it would be really awesome if there was a series similar to how the Mandalorian was, where it was kind of like, uh, or at least similar to how the Mandalorian episodes, uh, four five and six were, mm-hmm. where they were kind of bottle episodes, but it was like bottle stories. And it was something along the lines of like star Wars legends or, you know, legends of the force, even whatever you want to call it. But all these little backstories about like, about the pilot give like two or three episodes to the pilot give a little bit to uh you know the guardians of the wills and why they exist the way that they do and 
you know, why Chariot Emway is the way that he is and what made Bayes Malbus be not devout anymore because Chariot said that Bayes Malbus used to be the most devout. Yeah. Like what made him turn away from it? Show us, if we could have, show us Saw Guerrera and Mon Mothma when they worked together and how they broke up, you know, like that, that, and go ahead. It could be like a like an, almost an anthology series where you just have a couple of episodes at a time yeah. that describe this this you know this arc for uh, for people you know throughout the the Star Wars canon, and I think that that would like we don't need necessarily a whole movie about anybody or an entire like ten episode series, but like a couple episodes here and there on these various things would be really nice. I think I, I will also say without spoiling anything. Obviously, earlier in the story, because it all start, it all happens about five years before all of this. But um, Star Wars Rebels does fill in some of those gaps. Um, yeah, more in the world building stuff, but it, but Saw Gerrera does appear in it, um, and some other characters too. Uh, let's talk yeah, about Vader because yeah. we we were very unhappy with Vader in the prequels. Uh, we get Vader in two two scenes: one where uh, Krennic goes to talk to him, and then one where he brings his, you know he jumps into the fight at the end. What, what's your take on Vader in this movie? <laughs> Uh, honestly, I'm torn. I'm torn about Vader being included because on the one hand, no lightsabers needed to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. The, the, the bit on Vader, like Vader being there at the end and just tearing through the hallway looked amazing. It, really did. it was so brutal. It made Vader scary again. Like Vader was a terrifying presence in the black hallway when all you see is the red lightsaber turn on and all of his black armor is reflecting that red light. It's terrifying and it's so great, but it did not need to be there. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm glad that they did what they did to make Vader who he is again and, and like give us old, you know, classic Vader scariness. But this is not a story about the Jedi. Yeah. This is not a story about about the Force, really, in any way. So I, I have three thoughts. One of which is, yeah, you're right, it is completely badass. Um, two, there's a part of me that, that is fine with him appearing there. It's his scene with Krennic that bothers me. Um, mostly oh. <laughs> because I don't think of Vader as someone who uses puns. Like, and yeah. be careful not to choke on, at first I thought it was choke on your ambitions. That's how I remembered it. It's like, okay, that's, nope. that's kind of a dad pun, but whatever. But choke on your aspirations. Right, so it's a double pun. It's like, I have to get two references to breathing in here. Like, yep. come on, dude. You don't even know that your kids are alive. You don't get to tell dad jokes. Like, um. Honestly, like in talking about that part, I don't think that, that that was really like, I don't think that that did justice to Vader, not just for that joke, but the whole scene. Like he was, he was snarky. Yeah. Like when Krennic said something, it doesn't even freaking matter. Oh, when he's like, I'm just pressed for time. And then uh, Vader's like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It like, excuse you. Who, who the hell are you? And what have you done with Vader? It didn't make any sense. Um, I, I don't mind I, I quite liked the the lightsaber stuff at the end and I think it's a nice way of sort of like because in some ways I feel like it is because um, remember Vader's just been hanging out on that planet doing whatever he's doing and he does other yeah. things in the in the between your years but I like the idea of him kind of railing like okay 
Krennic's kind of an idiot. Tarkin is whatever. I need to get more involved again. Like, I like that. Except it sets up the one problem I have with the final sequence. Let's flash forward to A New Hope for a moment. Okay. In A New Hope, the Death Star has caught up with Princess Leia's ship. And she's claiming, and she seems to believe there's a good chance she'll be believed, that she's on a diplomatic mission for Alderaan. And that why would she have received any Imperial plans? That makes sense if he's caught up to her in the middle of space. But if he has literally watched someone walk the plans to her ship and then watched her ship, like he literally watches the ship break away. And then I guess it's because he has to take a few minutes to get back to the Star Destroyer and he starts the chase all over again. And that's how they wind up over. I I guess maybe they both jump to hyperspace and they wind up on over Tatooine because maybe Tatooine's very close to Scarif because you're not supposed to be able to track people through hyperspace. Like, but they were working on that. They, they were setting up something brilliant, and I get that. Um, I just feel like they, they just went a little bit too far to make that moment be perfect. And, and it, it, it's so good. And then you're like, but wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I thought without Vader, you wouldn't have – it would be more believable that, like, her ship gets away and then Vader's ship tracks her down, you know, over Tatooine for whatever reason. Yeah. And you know that's that's the that's the only gripe I have about uh, Vader being there. But I mean, I, I would say that him being so badass and and honestly redeeming Vader, yeah. <laughs> if I can if I can say that, like redeeming the badass Sith Vader. I mean, he, here's the... <laughs> to bring him back to being a badass. Like it's so it good. makes up for it's it. It's so needed. It, here's the line for me of how I, how I distinguish a really good movie from a movie where I'm like, eh, I've got problems with it. <clears throat> um, a movie where I'm like, okay, but it has problems is one where I notice things like that while I'm watching the movie and I'm like, eh, that doesn't make sense. And, and it takes me out of it. You know, it makes it harder for me to get caught up in the movie because I'm noticing the flaws. Right. The first time I saw Rogue One, none of that mattered. Like, yeah, Vader was it, awesome. it wasn't until you were like, it wasn't until you were like way out of the theater. You're like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I, you know, like driving home, the, you know, later talking about it, you know, going into the big detail about it. That's when you start to be like, OK, that didn't line hold up. the phone. <laughs> and, but here's the thing. If a prequel, we've talked so much about the problems that prequels have. And if the biggest inconsistency of the prequel is that there's that moment that doesn't quite line up. And you don't realize it until like a couple hours later. That's a home run, you know. Like that's 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 yeah. that's good enough for me. That's a very hard bar bar to meet, and you've met it. Yep, yep. Um, man, God, I'm I'm just kind of I'm on Disney Plus right now, just kind of scrolling through the the bar, mm-hmm. you know, looking at things. There are uh, there's so many things in there that <laughs> that are like. They're so great to talk about. The one that I keep thinking about, though, because I've got a tab open about it, is the the plans oh, yeah. that Jen Erso was talking about when she was scrolling through in the archives. Uh, she mentioned being able to track through hyperspace. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the hyperspace tracking, like something that they were working on. And it's like, okay, all right, they were already working on that. That makes sense. That at least, like, gives it some... It gives it credibility in, you know, when it comes up in episode 
eight. Right. Sure. That's 30, 40 years later, they finally figured it out. Yeah, yeah. But something that, that I didn't notice until this time after having watched The Mandalorian, there's a plan that she mentions called Black Saber. Oh, really? Oh, that's yes. so cool. Yes. And Black Saber uh, is something we're still learning about, but has a lot of significance in the TV show The Mandalorian and, and, and just Mandalorian history in general and is one that keeps coming up in a number of ways. So, oh, what a great little deep cut reference that is. Yeah, man. Like when she said that, I was like, hold the phone. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, what? <laughs> I meant, I immediately was just like, Google, 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 <laughs> tell me, tell me, tell me. So I want to uh, finish up by spending a couple of minutes talking about the, 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 the big battle and especially like how she gets them all to go to the battle. But is there any other kind of big things you want to touch on before we jump into that? Uh, I don't think that there's any other major, uh, major driving points that I, that I need to, to mention mm-hmm. yet. Right. I'll swing around yeah. to them though. We'll, we'll, They'll come up. We'll get to them. <laughs> Um, well, I didn't, want, I didn't want us to start moving towards wrapping up. We've been uh, a little more than an hour, and we try to keep these. Not no, great. man, we need to talk about this for another three hours. Okay, okay. Let's talk about the battle, and and even more so to me, the scene where she inspires them to get into the battle. Um, it is just that that's one one of probably from the moment she starts to talk, like tries to inspire the rebellion to fight, and then kind of walks away, and then everyone else tries to like join her. That may be like my favorite ten or fifteen ten or fifteen minutes in Star Wars, or certainly one of them, because there's just there's so many good moments. You know, her attempting to convince the rebellion and them not being able to do it, it it makes a lot of sense. You understand why they don't want to, even though it's scary. And then the moment when Cassian like brings these people to her, and he says, "We've all done terrible things on behalf of the rebellion. We need to, you know, we need to believe it's for a reason." Uh, I forget the exact wording of the second part, but the, that's basically the, the gist of what he says. It's so perfect, you know? It's just this wonderful statement of throughout this whole movie, we've had people doing very morally gray things for a cause they believe in. But but it's that kind of thing where, like, you're so far in the weeds that it's hard to see the actual cause you're doing. And now they have this chance to just be, like, pure and clear and go do it. Um and I just, I just loved that sequence so much because I thought it's such a nice, especially because Cassian and Jin have been kind of on different sides of that question. Uh, and, and I just thought that was such a nice way of pulling all this together, of being like, yeah, rebellions are dirty, rebellions are messy, but then you get a chance to really just go punch the bad guy in the mouth. Yeah. Oh, man. And I'm, I'm going through it now. He says uh, a cause that I, a cause that was worth it. Yeah. Without that, we're lost. Yeah. And then says, everything we've done would have been for nothing. It's so good. And it, it oh, makes sense. It's you know? so powerful. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you if you did all these bad things and then just gave up, mm-hmm. then you're just, you've all you've done is bad things. Yeah. And then that moment when, like, a whole bunch of them all show up to help her, um, you know, it's very much an on your left kind of a moment. Um, yeah. I did have a little bit of, like, we have this awesome woman heroes. Why is it that all the people who show up are dudes? Um, but you know, even that it's like, that's fine. We still, we're still getting this great moment. Yeah. And then she gives, she gives that other little speech. And I think it's so good that she quotes, uh, saw Guerrera because here again, she's like that. He wasn't useless. He had a lot of good things to, to say. And it's the, 
one one fighter with a sharp stick and nothing to lose can take the day. Um, and I and it's it's yeah. it's kind of like anat like that whole take the day. It's very like anachronistic language, which fits, but it's also just this beautiful sentiment. Like you just you don't need a Death Star. You you just need like one gun, one sharp stick, and a will to fight, and you can do it. Yep. Yep. And she says that, and that's not something that we ever saw. <laughs> saw. Yeah, well done. <laughs> uh, that's not something that we ever witnessed Saw Gerrera say. Um, you know, if 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 he had just been a legend, you know, uh, uh, a myth that you never actually see, uh, that could have been. You know, she could have brought that up, and and everybody would have been like, yeah, yeah, he must have been a badass, and like I'd have been okay with that. Um, but even even still, just having him there, you know, it was fine. And then it kind of, you know, their interaction cemented their past relationship. So it made sense that when she says Saw Gerrera used to say, like, oh, okay, they did. Yeah. You know, she did like him. They did work together a lot. He was her mentor in becoming a resistance fighter back before she gave it all up, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah. that's, I think it, it's a nice reminder that for her, this isn't, I'm doing something I've never done before. It's her going back to what she did as a kid. Yeah. She's picking up the old way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I remember how to do this. I remember how to rebel. And then again, <laughs> um, we get the wonderful humor uh, from the droid of, you know, I'll be there for you. Cassian said I had Cassian to. said I had to. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and the last thing. I, I like that Bodhi had a little bit of humor there where, like, it wasn't even intentional. He's just like, um, I mean, yeah, we could all fit. It's going to be a little cramped, yeah. but, you know, we could... We could all get in there. I mean, that to me felt like a very Avengers moment, you know, like it, it's serious. It's important. But but yeah, you can poke fun at it. You know, it's like that yep. great uh, Guardians of the Galaxy moment where um they're all standing up in this bold way. And then Rocky is like, yep, here we are all standing around like a bunch of jackasses. like <laughs> Standing in a circle. Yep. Yep. The other thing I love so much about it is. And again, this is the sort of thing I think that applies to rebellions. It also applies to like when I'm trying to convince my friends to do something. Like <laughs> she tries to get everyone to do this thing and they're like, nah, talk, talk, talk. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And then she just goes and does it. And everyone else is like, screw it. If she's doing it, let's go help her. Um, yep. And I thought it, it's a very like, you know, it, it's easier to say you're sorry than ask for permission. Um, and I think that there's a real truth to that. Of Like if you just go do the thing, people will be like, Oh, hey, look, especially something like a rebellion where everyone's so afraid and there's this like, you can't cross that line. You can't do it. Once she does it with her people, A, they're all like, we've got to go help her. But B, they're like, oh, you, you can do this. It now seems possible for us. Um, and to me, I think that like, every movement often needs that. You know, you need someone who's willing to just not talk about it for hours in a committee, but just to go forward. Yeah, you need somebody to pull the trigger. Yeah. Exactly. And and get it rolling. Yeah. Get it rolling forward because everybody else is too damn scared. Mm-hmm. I love that that um when that, that private comes running out, he's just like, huh, 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 I gotta go talk to her. Hey, hey, hey wait. And she, Mon Mothma turns around and is like, Oh, I gotta I gotta talk to Admiral Raddus. And somebody else is like, He's already gone. Yeah. <laughs> like he's already gone to help her. Yeah. I don't know what you're still doing here. And she's like, Oh shit, we gotta go. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a great moment, and it's you know, and it's, and I guess that battle scene that we talked about that is just it's just such a well done battle, both the battle on the planet that is very clearly a Vietnam reference. I mean, like 
Oh yeah, even down to the helmets that the the troopers were wearing. The helmets, the the battle in the swamp area, the the U wings, which is a cool new ship to introduce, but they're very clearly helicopters, like le- the way like the troops pour pour out of the sides. Yeah, yeah. Everything about it was so well done. Oh man, and then uh, we get a new look of of trooper armor that's you know kind of like. Uh, Oh man, looking at it now again, like it's it's pretty reminiscent of um of of American colors, you know, it's like it's it's almost kind of a sandy color with some blue patches on the shoulders, some red, some white stripes on the on the shoulders, like ooh. Oh, yeah, that's, oh that's no. That that that's a statement happening there. Oh, that's a statement. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh what what are the last little things you want to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, I, you know, I think it's remarkable that we've got this movie with so many people that like, it's a, it's a guardians movie where you've got this ensemble cast of all these people, but they still make it so personal. Every single person has a personal reason for being there and for doing the thing. And that like, you know, that bundle of personal reasons turns into a resistance. Yeah. It turns into a rebellion. It turns into a force that can damn well be reckoned with. I mean, Cassian said it, make 10 men feel like a hundred. And all of them were like, yeah. And I like, I was right there with him. Like, fuck yeah, man, let's do it. I'm going to blow some shit up. <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're right. There's a, a statement I heard. Um, I think it's by Bishop Yvette Flunder, who's this um, amazing uh, lesbian minister in a uh, bishop of, of her church in um, uh, San Francisco. It, it may have been by Loretta Ross, who's another uh, great black woman activist. I, I honestly don't remember which of the two it is. But the statement is um, a whole bunch of people moving in the same direction for different reasons is a movement. A whole bunch of people going in the same direction for the same reason is a cult. Um, and, and I've always liked that because it's this idea of like, yeah, we're all moving in the same direction. We don't all have to agree on why. And, you know, you might be doing it because your parents got killed by the rebellion. And you might be doing it because the empire came to your city and did terrible things. And you might do it because, like, the empire wrecked your business as a, as a sh- merchant or whatever it is. But we're all going to come together, you know? And that this idea of the rebellion... I, I really feel like this movie gives us the image of the rebellion as this ragtag bunch of people from all over the galaxy who the only thing that's uniting them is that that they want to fight, you know, and they need the one victory to really become the rebellion and to start fighting. Yeah. And then this movie gives us that and it's it's a victory, but it's bittersweet yeah. because we lose the the people that we're very familiar with. Yeah. And it's it's so touching. And, you know, I, I love I love that there was obviously some chemistry between Cassian and Jin, but they never actually yeah. went for it's it. It's not a romance movie in any way, shape, or form. Right. They just embraced at the end, yeah. like, all right, well, here we are. And, and, I mean, I feel like that could be because there's been some chemistry here. It could also be we've just had this major thing happen. We're about to die. You're the closest human being who I don't want to shoot in the head. Give me a hug. You know, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> I, I feel like the fact that again, that leaves it that ambiguous, you know, that you, you don't need it to be, um, a romance in any way. 
um, yeah. yeah, and I don't mind a good romance. Like I think Han and Leia is Han and Leia's flirtation is one of the things that makes Empire so good, and forcing Anakin and Padme's flirtation is what makes the prequels so bad. You know, and like if you don't need a, a romance in the story, don't put a romance in the story. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, I think that Han, the way that Han flirts though is so damn funny. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know you love me. All right, get over <laughs> it. Like we got things to do. Yeah. <laughs> you need a scoundrel in your life. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> oh, I can't wait till we talk about Empire. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah, we're gonna to have to try really hard to actually talk about it, and not just quote our favorite lines to each other. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but yeah. Any other kind of last things on Rogue One? Nah, man. I think we're good to wrap it up. Yeah, this was such a good movie, and I'm so glad we had the chance to to watch it again. And I'm hoping to our fans, you had the chance to watch it again. Um, what what stuck out for you? Um, maybe this was the first time you saw it, or maybe. You haven't seen it in a while. You're just listening along, and, and we're making you remember parts of it. Um, what do you love? Um, or maybe that Rogue One isn't your favorite movie. I, I think that's certainly an option as well. Um, what didn't you love? Let us know. You're allowed to be wrong. But, but yeah. No, even there. Like I, I, I think <laughs> it is harder to me to justify liking Solo than it is to justify not liking this. Like I can see if I, – I think if there's okay. – you're really into the okay, saga, that's fair. you know, something like that. That's fair. That's fair. But unless you don't, I unless you don't that, like, I think, unless you don't like Rogue One because you don't like women heroes, in which case, please stop listening to this podcast. You really have no yeah, place. Then here. you're wrong. Uh-huh. I think that you and everyone else though need to watch this movie again, but look for Jen Erso being force sensitive. Interesting. Okay, I'll definitely take a look. I'll definitely take a look. Um, so yeah, fans, what do you think? You can find us on Facebook at Star Wars Universe Podcast. You can find us on Twitter. Um. It is called Star Wars Universe Podcast, but the um, the actual name of it is SWU Podcast, Star Wars Universe. Uh, the actual full name at Star Wars Universe Podcast was too long, uh, but you can find it either way. And honestly, the easiest way is to go to our webpage, which is on the strandedpanda.com, uh, the Stranded Panda Podcast Network. On there, you can find this podcast. You can also find a number of other great podcasts that both myself and Jeff, sometimes together and sometimes differently, are on, as well as a couple of others by other great people. Um, we do content on all sorts of different geek media. There's one on the MCU, on the DC Universe, on the Star Trek Universe. Uh, there's a, a podcast that called Pandavision, where we talk about all sorts of different television shows. Uh, we've done things on The Boys, on um, Orville, on Umbrella Academy Umbrella just recently. Academy. And uh, just getting started now, Matt Carroll and another friend of his are kicking one off about Lovecraft Country, which is going to be really interesting. I saw the first episode of that oh, show. It's such a good oh, show. so good. It's so good. So good. Uh, so yeah, lots of great content, lots of good things, and really lots of good ways to remind you that why would you ever go out of the house in the time of the pandemic when there's so much good television to watch? Um, yeah, and we're there to talk about it I'm with you. I'm just trying to justify the fact that I'm spending so much of my time watching television. So no, You don't have to justify it to me, man. It's, it's to have good conversations like this, and it's to have good conversations with you, the fans. So please check all, all that out. Please give us a review on iTunes or anywhere else where you give reviews. It's a great way to help us. And please, more than anything, keep listening, tell a friend about it, and have a great day. I have spoken. <laughs>